order of things and the assumptions people make about the world and what life even means. Um, and it calls us to this kind of crazy way of life that will look mad to the world around us. To anyone whose eyes haven't been opened to the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, to what he's done and the implications of it. Um, it's revolutionary. So go and read it. And uh, if you haven't already, like, just go back and, and read it. Two or three chapters. And ask the boy to like, help it to be worked out in your life. And so there's two or three chapters of that, of Jesus just spelling this out, just talking the talk. And then Matthew, I'm convinced, just wants to show us like how this is backed up. Because as I read it, we moved on to the sermon in a minute, to Matthew chapters 8 and 9. And he just lifts off, all of a sudden, just miracle after miracle, like relentlessly, machine running, like Jesus did this, Jesus did this, Jesus did this, like again and again and again. Every three or four lines, there's like a new miracle. And let me just like list them out for you really quick, right? So he's given the sermon on the mountain, headed to Matthew 8, and it says, Jesus like came across the land of the leprosy, and he healed them. Then Jesus, a Roman soldier, comes and says, a servant is sick. And like, when you speak the word, we made well. Jesus speaks the word, and the servant is miles away, uh, is healed. Instantly. Then he goes to Peter's house, Peter's mother-in-law is sick, and he prays for her and she's healed. Then sick and demon-possessed people are brought to him, and he heals them, and he frees them. All in the same chapter, then he gets on a boat, and we know the story, a storm comes, and the disciples are all terrified, and he wakes up, and he rebukes the storm. He speaks to the wind and the waves, and they subside, and everything is okay. He gets to the other side. And soon as on the other side, two demon-possessed men come out, and they've been terrorized in the town, and Jesus casts the demons out of them. Chapter 9, he goes back to his hometown. People bring a paralytic man to him, a guy who can't walk. And, uh, and Jesus says to him, your sins are forgiven. People are like, who are you to say your sins are forgiven? He's like, what's easier to say? Your sins are forgiven, or to tell his name, and get up and walk. And he says, get up and walk. And he gets up and walks. Sean has like authority to forgive sins. He moves on and he calls Matthew, who wrote this gospel, sees Matthew, tax collector, sitting at his booth and he says, come follow me. And something is so compelling in his voice that Matthew leaves behind, like it's lively, but just gets up and leaves everything. And literally, not metaphorically, literally follows Jesus with his life goes wherever he goes. A man comes and asks him to heal his daughter who has died. And Jesus says, yes, and he goes. He's on the journey on the way. To, to, to this daughter, this little girl who's died, a woman reaches out who's been like having a, 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 an issue with blood for like 12 years uh, and uh, touches the hem of his garment. He feels terrible and he's like, What's going on? And, uh, and her faith has made her right. She's been healed by reaching out and just touching Jesus. He gets to the house and he goes to the girl who's died and he raises her from the dead. He leaves there, two blind men chase after him, shouting, Son of David, have mercy on me. He does have mercy on me and heals them of their blindness. He's walking away and somebody brings a mute man to him who, uh, who, is, who is demon possessed. And Jesus gets rid of the demon and the man receives his speech. Just relentless, like thing after thing after thing. So we've got all of this that's presented as Jesus speaking, this is the way the kingdom of God will look. And then we've got two chapters where Matthew's just shown you, you should listen to what this guy said. And this book I've just written down because here it is demonstrated what it looks like when the kingdom of God comes to bear and its face. He has authority over the elements and even the weather. God comes to restore the world, but also love the world that he gets on his own. The whoever will believe in him will not perish, will give, have eternal life. But also love the world, the word for the world there is cosmos, the established order, like the order of what God created in, in the beginning. And uh, Jesus like, displays authority over even like the, the elements of the world. He, he displays authority over spiritual beings where people were, were demon possessed, and he just with the word, like speaks and changes life over physical bodies and diseases. He heals people, 
physically, even over the condition of hearts as they stand before God, where he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. He's showing like that the authority is Jesus to do all of this. And then, I think Matthew, like, and you only see this stuff, I think, when you're reading, uh, like, chapter after chapter, you see how things relate to one another. So, with the sermon only on two or three chapters up here, the way it should look, we've got eight and nine, like, chapters of, like, here's what it did look like when I went on, I'm done, I'm done. And then we have this transition piece uh, that happens at the end of, uh, of, uh, of chapter 9. Um, that's just saying Matthew 7, Matthew 9, Matthew 7, that's what happens when you use the same keynote. We've got the reading, if we get to change the thing. Uh, but Matthew chapter 9, right? So it transitions from all these miracles that Jesus is doing. And then you read these verses, and then things take a different turn in Matthew chapter 10. And the verses say this says, Jesus went through all the cities and the villages, teaching in their synagogues, and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest, to send out laborers into his harvest. Now, this is an important like, turn in the story, in an unfolding of the it's like a pivot in the story uh, that happens right in these verses. He's communicated about the kingdom, he's demonstrated the kingdom, and what he's about to do here in chapter 10 is extend that kingdom authority beyond himself to the apostles who have been following him, to the disciples who have been following him. He's about to send them out to go and do what he's been doing, to tell people about the kingdom and to demonstrate it. So in Matthew 10, you see, he sends out the 12 and he gives them loads of advice, he talks to them about what they expect and how to rely on them in it. But in this moment, you can see some of God's plan unfold. That Jesus did want and still wants to gather a group of people together and to present to them here's what the kingdom of God looks like in words, to show them here's what the kingdom of God looks like indeed, and then to send them out to do the same thing, to proclaim and demonstrate what it looks like to live under the King of Kings. And Jesus calls that thing in his church. And so do we. And that's the church you want to be. You and I are the inheritors of that commission, that calling, that honor, that responsibility. He wants to use you and to use me to expand the influence of the kingdom in this age. And so that's a big jump, right? That's why I want to refocus just in on this little passage. Because it's a big jump, a big one from just admiration of Jesus. If we just sat here and read 8 and 9 and all of the, all the things that Jesus did, like it would naturally result in praise. Yeah, that's what we do. Like we praise God. We just thank Jesus for who he is, right? But how do we move from like the, the position of just praise to the position of like participation? Because that's what, that's what happens. Between 8 and 9, chapters 8 and 9 and chapter 10, the disciples are moved from the space of just praise and all seeing who God is into the space of actually participating and being agents of the kingdom of God. And how do we move from that one place into, into the other? Um, and I think we see two things from this, this, this passage. There's um, compassion, and then there's a surprising command that's in there. I'd love to just look at them um, in turn. Compassion and surprising command. So first, we see Jesus' compassion. And I didn't know if Jesus was going to pick that song, and she didn't probably even know what I was preaching on, but um, this verse, and we saw the crowds and had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. 
Jesus just had this compassion. He looked out and when he saw the crowds, and I think it's even more than just seeing them like, like noticing this group of people. He's like seeing the scope of the brokenness of humanity. He's been healing people, he's been like releasing people, freeing people, and crowds are gathering everybody who's in need. And he's just seeing the scope of what it is that, that the work that needs to be done in people's lives. And I love that Jesus doesn't just feel like it's beyond him to do that, that work. He said he wants to involve people in. Um, but it's like he literally sees people. He says, like, they're not sheep without, without a shepherd. Like, what are sheep without a shepherd? They're like vulnerable. They're open to whatever predators, whatever like comes their way. They just wander off into random places, walk out onto roads. You ever see those like, like sheep who aren't being looked after, just being bits Hollywood and brand, brand bulls and like barbed wire, like just, just in bits defenseless, helpless, battered, devoured by whatever comes their way. And he simply has compassion, compassion for them. That Jesus in love, like his heart is moved. The word, the word compassion, like look it up in the Greek, it's the only one I looked up for it. Like it means literally like the bowels yearn. Like it means literally like there's that twist in his gut for people. You know, like just like something internal. It's not just like a uh, an intellectual being at a distance, like a, a movement inside of compassion that he has for people. The love for them. The love is the motivation for everything that Jesus is. It's love. It's love that brought Jesus to earth. It's love that, that enabled him to go to the cross. It's, it's in love that God raised him from the dead. It's the first born of new creation. It's love that has him to return for a bride who he loves. It's love that motivates everything that he does. Love is the motivator for everything. Later on in Matthew, we know, we know that this is the case because like, they come and ask him, teach us the most important commandments. Like, love the Lord from my brother, heart, soul, and say. And then the second, shown, shown this compassion moment, shown this, this twist in his cup, that was yearning for something. He says the second is like this. second most commandment is like the thing I'm telling you to do with your life. It says, love your neighbor as yourself. All the love and commandments in Genesis 2. The most important thing you can do with your entire life is love the Lord in your heart. And the second is like to love your neighbor as yourself. That's where I want to focus this morning. Loving your neighbor as yourself. It's literally like, you want to know what life is about? You wonder if you love trying to figure out what am I meant to do? What's like, what's life all about? What's the meaning of life? Jesus is saying everything that God has revealed to humanity about himself can be summed up. Everything about the nature of life and what it's meant to be can be summed up in two things. You're meant to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. And you're meant to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus in that statement. It's counter-cultural. We read it and, and we're so used to it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, okay. Don't feel bad about it. I don't have a whole bad thing against it. But Jesus is trying to redeem, redeem humanity. Like, this is what it means to be human. The humans that I design. The humans like, like unfallen humanity or redeemed humanity on the other side of the fall. That we would love one another. That we're not, that we're not, we're not then left helpless like sheep. Without a shepherd, that, 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 that there's not people who want to devour us, and there's not people, if everybody loves one another, then there's the whole order of the world changes. It's, it's a radical call to call us to like, love our neighbor as itself. And so he calls us to show that same compassion. Calling is, is, is probably a nice way to put it, saying he calls us, it's probably more accurate way to say, to say, Jesus commands us to love our neighbors as ourselves. 
It's not like an option that you tack on to Christianity. I'll come to church and sing the songs. I'll be loved by God. I'll get involved in community. I'll do whatever. But, but my heart's going to remain distant from those people who are like sheep without a shepherd. And I'm not moved in my guts of compassion for them. It's not an add-on. It's the most important thing. It's not an optional extra. It's like the, the, the second one of the point is, here's how long you're going to such a love. You love one another. It's like, it's at the center of what it actually means to be, to be a Christian. It's not an optional extra. It's a command. In the middle of the sermon, the man just put it a different way. He says, do unto others as you want others do unto you. Same thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. Let your concern for the stuff that occupies your mind and your heart and motivation and your energy and your resources that it move beyond you into the people around you who need to know and experience the love of God. And it's not a passive thing, it's an active thing. We should actively be involved in doing it. It's not something that just happens, it's something that we need to be intentional about, something that we need to be serious about obeying as a command of God. And liberty, we're, as a church, just determined in whatever way, like, as leaders who can serve you guys. Um, but we're determined that we'll just be known as a church who love the Lord. As, like, that we'd be marked by There's been numerous times, as Noel and I, over the past couple of years, got together and prayed, and just went back to Scripture, and we're like, Lord, what do you want for your church? What have you asked for it? And it's just summed up in love. It's just, it, like, it's just summed up in it. The greatest command is love the Lord. The one that comes before that or that even enables that is the fact that you are loved by God. And that we as a church will be people who are well loved by God. And out of that love, we love Him in return our response and worship and praise. And out of that love, we're compelled to love one another in supernatural ways, like those who brothers and sisters in Christ, in incredible ways, and obviously overlapping of our lives. And then out of that love, we're compelled into the world to love our neighbors in the way that we have been loved. By God. And it's our prayer that we've, we've prayed it, literally we've prayed it out loud, like, Lord, if you could do one thing for us, don't let us be known as the church with the great teaching or the great worship or the great community or the great whatever. It's like, could you let us be known as the church who loves? Church who loves well. And to what great delight, like about two weeks ago, I was on the phone with Chris and Sheila. And I don't think I've even said it, but Chris and Sheila are missionaries in the summer. And, uh, and about uh, every month they take, it's incredible, not sponsored from Ireland, they take from the church that gathers their, their tithes and offerings. They go and they buy food and they distribute it to the community to people who literally don't have food. Not like extra food, but like literally don't have food to survive. And, uh, and they went to this new woman's um, home, and um, attached like mud, mud space, and, uh, and we're delivering the woman's obviously all the joy. She's like, I've heard about you guys, who are her words I've heard about you guys, you're the people who love. And uh, Chris and Sheila said it back to me, yes. And I was like, it's like an answer to prayer. Like, you're the people who love. And Lord, just had it be said of all of us. Lord, I've been so well loved by you, Lord. So well loved. You've been so faithful, so gracious, so incredible in our lives, Lord. But don't let us suffer us. Let us be the people who love. In Jesus' name. Um, and so the question becomes, how do, we, how do we move? How do we move from that space, right? Like, what if we just don't have compassion? You know what I mean? Like, what if like, we're just not moved in that way? Life is busy. Life just, just work to go to that home, this routine. I just like, it's hard enough to even looking after myself. What is it? How do we engage with it? Jesus loves people. How can I love people in the same way? 
one side is Jesus and we can see that the other side is this promise that we could be involved. Everybody couldn't make the step from that one side over onto, onto the other. And I think that's where the, the kind of surprising command of Matthew 9 comes into play, right? So he says this. He's looking out, he sees the people where they like sheep without a shepherd. Then he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send our laborers into his harvest. So he sees people out there as like this harvest. As in people whose lives are right right now to encounter the love and the transforming power of God. He says the workers are, are few. People who are going to go and do it are few. And he asks them to pray. And again, familiarity just reads like not content, but just like apathy or something, which is like used to reading that. Okay, yeah. But this is this is huge because if, when you're reading in a context, right? You read Matthew 8 and 9, and there's like miracle, 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 miracle. And you're almost expecting, right? This big crowd's gonna gather and it's gonna build to like this crescendo of a miracle, right? Like where like the huge crowds gather and Jesus just like waved his hand and every disease was healed, right? You know, and every heart and every demon was cast out. It's like it's building up to that crescendo. And I reckon, I reckon the disciples were expecting that as well. They're just seeing this after time after time. And what does Jesus say to them? It's almost like an anti-climax, right? Instead of like doing this big miracle, he says to them, okay, I want you to pray that the Lord will send our workers into the harvest. And if you were there, like honestly, if you were if you were there, like, I want you to pray that somebody will go to them. Like, honestly, you would look back at Jesus and be like, ah, it's not you. You know, I like, just watched it. Like, which one wants to pray that? Like, you can do, like, go, like, go and do it. Like, like, people are, why do you need us to, to do it? And the truth is, Jesus doesn't need us to do it, but he's chosen us to do it. Why? Because the kingdom of God that he's establishing is a kingdom where, where, like, for the benefit of humanity. God created humanity to be in relationship with so he invites, he's invited the, the, the disciples to be part of the redemption of the world, to step into the reality of the new kingdom. He could have just like kicked his fingers in some sort of moment and everything, everything is done. Instead, he empowers and he calls them. And he empowers them in a strange way. It's not like there's a time where he breathes on you know he sends them out. But it's not like you like lays hands, like, okay, maybe go heal that person, lays hands, go heal that person, you go do that. Instead, puts the ball in their court and it's like, always oh, look around you. Look at the need that's around you. You pray that the Lord will send their workers into into the harvest field. He's calling them to get involved. He doesn't just send them out. It's his, his first invitation, I think the transition, the moment, the way that we get from this side of just adoration of what Jesus did into this side of participation in what he's done. But the thing that bridges the gap from one to the other is, is prayer. And that's what he shows us. A prayer is the way that we get from just observation and seeing what Jesus has done and being divided and into actually like getting skin in the game. To be involved enough to like step out and to do it. Like that prayer is the key in it. Prayer is the means by which our hearts come to reflect the heart of God. When it that works this way, that, that in worship, we get to see who Jesus is, yeah? Worship like, like, uh, as the way that we become aware of the presence and the greatness of God. And I'm convinced that the Word, like sitting under the Word now, or, or reading the Word if you read the Bible project, is the way that you get to know what's on His heart, yeah? So in worship, you get to like, experience His heart. In the Word, you get to know what's on His heart. But I'm convinced of this, that prayer is the way that our hearts come to mirror His. The prayer is the way that what's in his heart comes to be in our hearts. Prayer is the way that our character begins to reflect and take on the shape of the character and the life of Jesus. 
Worship helps us, helps us experience it. That the word helps us understand it. But prayer, I'm convinced, helps us embody it. And why am I convinced of that? Because it's just this little transition piece in scripture. You see Jesus doing it. And then in chapter 10, you see him sending out. And just between those two moments, something has changed. And what's changed? He's asking to pray that uh, the workers would be sent out. And do you see, like, almost a sneakiness of Jesus. He's like, pray that workers would be sent out. And I bet you they started praying. No matter the workers would be sent out. not have any idea that they were going to be the workers who were going to be sent out. They're just like, they start to pray. But what happens when they pray is that their hearts are changed from the inside out. And that their, their motivation becomes to go and love people. And I'm convinced that the heart that begins to pray for people will soon be compelled to love people. I'm convinced that that's how it works in the spiritual. And that it can't be any other way. And maybe we could fight against it or we can resist it. But genuinely, if you turn your attention, your heart to praying for your neighbours, to the people around you, I'm convinced that your heart will change and you'll find yourself being asked to reach out to them. When you genuinely pray for people, they'll be compelled to go and show them love, to reach out meet their needs, to carry hope to them, to tell them about Jesus. When you don't pray for them, chances are you won't. Like in this moment, I think you see a key kind of transition is you find yourself in a space where in awe of what Jesus would do. And actually like, would love to be involved in some way with seeing the kingdom, but just not knowing how do we how do we have that same heart? I think he's showing us that prayer is the way that we sit from one side to the other. That we begin to pray for people. And even if we just like, even if we just like drill it down to like the simplest, like the, the most like like straightforward way to do it, that it's not like just abstract in there, I'm not praying for the nations or whatever, like to love your neighbor as yourself. I know that has an expansive meaning towards wherever you go, but let's just take it even this week as a step, like physically for like your neighbors. Who are the people who like live beside you, people whose houses you can see from your front window when you look out, people whose houses you pass as you walk to the shops, people who, who are in who are in the world. I'm convinced that as you pray for those, if you pray for those, that God will give you opportunities to show them love. And I believe that every one of us is commanded and commissioned by Jesus to love those around us. Just even logically think about it for a second, guys. On your road there are people who are like sheep without a shepherd. Who's going to tell them that it's not you? Who's going to reflect the love of God to them in practical ways if it's not? If it's not you? Who's going to reach out to them with unconditional love? Who's going to show mercy? Who's going to show grace? Who's going to reach out with broken and suffering hope? Who's going to do it if it isn't? If it isn't you? And I don't think it's about us just praying, Lord, will you bless Mary next door? I think as we pray, Lord, will you bless Mary next door? Something will change in our hearts. And we'll find ourselves understanding that God has placed you next door to Mary to bless her. Happened the other night, we're going through this valley. Because we have one of our, one of our five values, five loves in church, that we love our neighbour and ourselves. And it's with a group of leaders and keeping it before them. We're on Zoom, so we're all in different spaces uh, around, around Dublin. And, uh, and we're like in our prayer time tonight. Here's what we're going to do. We pray each time we're together. We're, like, we're just going to pray for our neighbours. We're going to pray for our needs, we're going to pray for whatever, we're going to pray for like, the future of the church, or we're just going to pray for our neighbours as, as an act of obedience into loving our neighbours. Starts there. And honestly, it was just incredible to see people around. Just like one guy, this one guy, John, you know, just, just a way of illustration of what happens in your heart. 
He lives in Palak and he's praying. And he began to pray just last Tuesday night for like, it's like, pray for the boy who lives on the left of me. And he's lost his wife. And I reckon he's just lonely. And I prayed for the boy. And the woman lives on the right. And she's not wrong. And I reckon she's just lonely as well. And he's like praying. And like in the middle of his prayers, like, the, the natural thing would be, Lord, would you be a comfort to them? Lord, would you be a friend to them? Would you do whatever? And then literally, like, see the cogs like turning or hearing, like, as he's, as he's praying. Like, it turns from, it's like, and uh, tell you what I was having next door. How do you, like, you just sit there at the back and listen to the music. And, uh, and he says it in his friends, like, actually, this is the music that I like. And, uh, and, uh, and you can just see the cogs, you can see the cogs turning, where, like, he moves from, like, Lord, which is best time, then I see him, then I see him, like, this guy, like, sit down at the back, listen to the music by himself, to it becoming, you know, like, well, maybe I'm meant to go, I sit at the back with him, and listen to the music. God shows him this guy's own, God shows him a space where he's, like, like on his own, shows him a point of connection. And literally by the end of his prayer, like John is like convinced the Lord is sending me next door to just show up and sit with his son who's lonely. Not rocket science, right? But, but what happened in the, the space of prayer? That happened. Have you not afraid? He even said it as far as his prayer. He's like, I've been next door to these guys for 20 years. I don't know that I've prayed for them. And in like 20 seconds, from his heart is moved and comes to reflect the heart of God. Where would Jesus be? He's saying, he's sitting next to that guy. Oh, he's sent the music. Ministering to his heart. Compelled to people who are lonely and who are broken, who are like sheep or every shepherd. And we just saw it across the board. Like one woman had, they had a party for like a retirement, and a neighbour had given in with her, you know, like parking or whatever. And she didn't even present to that neighbour. She wanted to come in with peace of mind. And then praying for him, the Lord changed her heart to go down and make amends. Like just to, they're radical beings. I know they seem small. Imagine getting a knock on the door and you're expecting the neighbour to freak out about the altercation the other day, and instead the neighbour is knocking on the door, reaching out, saying, "Look, I just want to make amends. I just, I just want to like, I want to make sure everything's all right between us." And like, they're countercultural things, and they build a platform for us to explain, be able to give an account for the way that we live when people ask. In simple, simple ways. And maybe you have the boldness as well, and you're moving, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and the Lord gives you the boldness to pray with the body who's sick, or to, 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 to pray with the person who's, 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 who's had an injury and see healing, or to, or to have insight and, and words of knowledge to be able to speak life into a situation, and that God will look. But none of it is beyond us. That stuff isn't even beyond us. That stuff is just empowered by the Holy Spirit. But so are these steps of love, because they're things that people just don't do. God has called us church to be a church who shine on the spot wherever we are, who show love to people around us. And I'm convinced the space into it is prayer. And it might start off with prayer for this, bless that God is on me. But I guarantee you, it'll switch to like God, like challenging you. Well, what can you do to help us on this? Help you to be a friend, help you to love. And I'm just challenging if you haven't done that. And I'll put my hands up as we were doing as we were doing that. John said twenty years I haven't done it. As we were doing it, we were praying for people on our own we've never prayed before. Now the truth is moving well and reach out to one of them and and uh, and uh, speak for it. Uh, and I just challenge you to do that. Like it's just it's all tangible, it's just the beginning to pray, just to demystify that there's people around you who need help who are lonely, struggling or hurt and going through a tough time and to pray for them, listen out to how the Lord leads you to respond and love to them. Yeah, it can be awkward and strange if you're not used to it, but it's not about having some big strategy. It's about moving where, where God is moving, realizing that God wants to move through you. 
like like sparking your mission or imagination. This is what you were made for, church. Like the church doesn't have a mission. The mission of God has a church. That that you are made to fulfill the mission of God and the people who are around you, family, your friends, those on your road, those who those who are just broken, who just need to be shown love and compassion. Jesus did what he could do to bless anybody who came his way that we have the same heart, but we go about it with intent. You were made for it, you were designed for it, you're part of Jesus' kingdom. I'm going to challenge you just to get intentional about discerning and moving in those paths, about being a worker at the hardest scale. I'm convinced the way into it is that it's prayer. So I challenge you this week, and I'm going to finish the prayer by going to give us a communion, and then I have one more thing to do as I send us out, uh, one more challenge. But um, begin to pray, even as simply as like two minutes, five minutes, ten minutes, stand at your front door and look at the people you can see around you, look at the people who are like sheep without the shepherds, remember what's going on behind the doors, the bits you know about people, the stories that you know about people, the things that they've been through, the stuff you can see written on their faces as they walk around the place, the, the things you're, you're just aware of, like, oh, what would you have to do? What would you have to do? Like just even as you begin to pray, you don't even need to ask that question. You begin to pray the Holy Spirit will give you the answer to that question. As you begin to, uh, to just seek the Lord, for, to love your neighbour as yourself. I, think we, I just really think we need to get serious about it as a church, not as an option, but as like, Jesus, what's the most important thing in the world? Love the Lord, and yeah, we get that. Now here's the second, love your neighbour as yourself. Oh wow. That's the most important thing in the world. Um, Lord, I just thank you, I celebrate, Lord. As I look around this room, Lord, I know preaching would have converted, Lord, and I know if we ask for stories, there would be story after story of people who are reaching out in love to their neighbours, to their families, people who are bearing the cost of loving in, in incredible ways. And um, as I was writing this even this week, Lord, I know you placed on my heart to say to the church that those who have yet to go, go, to those who are going, to keep going. I just pray over those who are going right now and are bearing the cost of it, Lord, who are, who are walking in that, Lord, and, and experiencing it, Lord. Um, I just pray strength to keep going. I pray strength, Lord, where it seems like it's soft or it seems like there's, 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 there's no way. It seems like, you know, their efforts are in vain. I pray that they would have strength to keep going. Just to keep going and trust in you, Lord, as they sow seeds in faith that it's up to you, Lord, to bring about, Lord, the, uh, the growth, Lord. But that nothing is wasted in you, Lord. I pray they will be rooted and established in love, Lord God, and saint of the Lord. And those of us who for the first time or for a time of are becoming real aware of just this call that we have, Lord. I pray that this week as they that they as their eyes are opened, your Holy Spirit will bring it to our memory. As they walk out the front door the next time, their eyes will be open to the mission of God and that they will see things the way you do, Lord. I pray that they will be moved to prayer. And that in prayer, the hearts will come to the pictures and that you will send us out to show love, Lord. Each and every person in this space, Lord, this week would be an agent of love in the world, Lord. Reaching out with intent. Um, I ask that you would align our hearts with that, Lord. I pray where fear comes in, or discouragement, or even apathy, I pray just that the Holy Spirit, you, Holy Spirit, would move and be louder than any of those voices. Be more forceful than any of those forces um, and compel us to be involved in your kingdom. That's the most important thing happening in the world, Lord.
messages this morning. And as we come to the table and as Gary leads us, Lord, um, would you continue to speak to our hearts? Thank you. 
like to come Jesus did, but let on the blood that was shed for our sins and come and make it yourself right with God. And if you're new to this, and if this is something that's new to you and you have not come to a place where you have surrendered to Jesus, let this be an opportunity for you to make yourself right with God and please come talk to me, talk to Rob, talk to um, any of the key leaders here who, who will more than be more than willing to, to pray with you. And um, it's a little bit nerve-wracking when you're doing it, but if, if, you, if you're out there and you want to go on the list and volunteer and do these kind of things, come talk to Rob because if you do it the way I've done it, it does make you some more. <laughs> Let me pray. I'm going to pray over us. Um, Father, we do thank you for the heart of God towards humanity. We thank you for the love that is in your heart towards each and every person in this place. And Father, I thank you for the sacrifice that Jesus Christ made upon the cross that each and every one of us can be drawn near and reconciled unto you. I thank you that our sins are removed from us as far as the east is from the west. And I thank you that when we confess our sins, you are faithful. You are just, you remove our sins from us. You purify us, you cleanse us, and you make us right with God. I thank you that we stand here this morning in right standing before you, the one true God, because of what Jesus Christ did. I thank you that our sins are not counted against us. I thank you that life eternal is ours because of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for the mercies that are in each and every one. And Father, as we stand here remembering what you did, remembering what Jesus did on our behalf, I just pray, my God, for the moving of your Holy Spirit in our midst. I pray that you will quicken our spirits and that you will link within us. Just reveal within us a deep understanding of the heart of God. The love that is in your heart that compels you to send Jesus, I pray that that will be the same love that compels us to go out. And I pray, my God, that you would help us to be a people who knows what it is to sit at the feet of Jesus, to abide in you, to be a people who will overflow with love and compassion. And I pray, my God, that in what we do and as we look to seek to, to reach out to others, I pray it would be born out of an authentic, genuine relationship with God. I pray that it would be born out of a place that is, is true and that is authentic and is genuine that can only really come from a relationship with the love of God. And I pray, my God, that you would fill us as a people with the love that is you, the love that is Christ. And I pray, my God, that you would help us as we go about our day and about our week to, to reflect in the love of God to those around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
the disciples after they prayed. I wanted to deal with the challenge of a that just really sparked my imagination this week. Um, I wanted to, to imagine, imagine this, that, um, you know, we talk about Jesus calling Matthew, and Matthew is out of the tax and he says, come follow me, gets up in the head. And he just walks after Jesus, and he goes where he goes. And then uh, we went through the towns and through the places, see that Jesus went to, he went to the brother, and went to places that people didn't expect him to be meeting with Pharisees and tax collectors, and Matthew was one of them. And uh, I just knew what he did, just have to see what it looks like to follow Jesus. And what question or challenge do you to ask yourself when you, when you picture yourself sitting in, a, in your front room or in your house and, um, and Jesus comes to you and, uh, and he says, come follow me. And um, literally, the like, ship here and says, come follow me. The, the question is, where does he go from, from your house? Where does he go? Does he go to somebody in your house? When he leaves the front door, where's 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 he going to be drawn to? Where would he move your neighbours to go to a space in your town in Bray? You wouldn't expect him to go. Would he be in places like that we haven't been? The question is, I just ask the Lord in this week, maybe each morning when you're having breakfast and you're sitting at your kitchen table, because Jesus has called you to follow him. And the question is, where is it going? We just have this core belief as a church that the church, um, as I said, the, the church doesn't have a mission. The mission has a church. God is at work in the world. People think God is at work in the church. We believe that God wants to be at work in the world through the church. Um, and so the question is to you, if Jesus calls you to follow, where is he going in your world? And the obvious, obvious challenge that flows from that is to go to go with them. He sends out his disciples for the last time, going to disciples of all nations, baptizing the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching to obey who's not commanded you. He says, I'm sure with you to the end of the age. Wherever you go, Jesus is, is there. It's all I send you out, church, into our streets and avenues and housing estates and workplaces and colleges and social circles and families to be salt and light wherever you go, to be carriers of the presence of God wherever you go, to shine like a city on a hill wherever you go, to live and demonstrate and word and indeed the enormity of the coming kingdom of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ wherever you go and just partake of the body, reminding ourselves that we've been made one with him, praying only in awareness that Jesus is with you. And the potential of that will spark your imagination to live boldly and courageously um, in ways that love and change the world this week in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.